Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Bass Edge Nation, we are back. Yes, sir. Bass Edge Radio, another episode, episode 281. Aaron, it is June 1. We are ready to rock this thing. I'm excited this morning. How about you, buddy? I am very excited, and I know, Kurt, it's been a couple weeks since the royal wedding, but I know that you are sporting a lot of the new hats, and that's going to be part of your fishing wardrobe. (laughs) Yes, I got all kinds of new hats and new ways to draw attention, and especially the signature bass edge hat, of course. That's right. It's a big bass on top of it in place of the <laughs> of the feather and the flower. But we are rocking and rolling and cannot go any further without mentioning our friends at MegaWare Keel Guard. We talk about them all the time. Kurt, you and I both know there's several other people from Bass Edge Nation that knows that you have to have the MegaWare Keel Guard products, and that is the Flex Step, that is the Skeg Guard, and that is the first do-it-yourself keel protector. There is only one MegaWare Keel Guard. Be sure to put on the protection the pros pick, and you can visit them at keelguard.com. That's right, Aaron. Actually, you know, the last couple of events I've been to, I've been to a lot of dock lakes. I see those skeg guards all over the place, and they look stylish. Yeah, I mean, I was actually just uh, recently in Stockton. I had three different individuals, and this is not a plug. I mean, this is the real deal. Three people come up to me just there at that lake and tell me how that the skeg guard during that tournament saved them from basically either damaging or breaking their skeg because there's a lot of timber in that lake and certainly we were fishing plenty shallow and uh, everybody was kind of trying to find that bigger bite so hats off to mega work guard yeah for sure let's talk about that a little bit so how did the tournament go at stockton i mean i know that was the central elites correct it was it was the last regular season event and although it's been a couple weeks ago my hands are still recovering because <laughs> um everybody was catching 30 to 50 fish a day talking about fun it was so much fun and really what it came down to was being able to find that big bite. And when I say a big bite, a two-day tournament, it only took uh, 23 and some change to win it. But uh, the last day, if this tells you how it is, Kurt, I called five times to get up to 9.77 pounds. I mean, literally, you would hang two on the balance beam scale (laughs) because my scale couldn't differentiate between them. And they were right there. But kind of onto the fishing, if you were able to find those more healthy bass that had maybe spawned a little bit earlier and come up with kind of that two and a quarter pound average you know two and a half somewhere around in there you were you were in the check line my particular fish came on top water and carolina rig and that's really what it came down to they were generating a lot of water during the week at practice then when the tournament rolled around that kind of slowed down but then the storms rolled in thunder and lightning and wind like i have not seen in a long long time five six foot waves that lake gets nasty in a hurry on saturday but that did put a kibosh in the top water bite for about the length of the storm and they went right back to eating it so a really, really fun tournament. Man, it sounds like it sounds actually very similar to an event we'll discuss a little bit in our next segment, which was Toyota Texas Bass Fest over there at Lake Travis, where they were catching a lot of fish. And that big bite was a difference maker for a lot of people. So uh, we'll certainly talk about that. And talking about big bites, I got to mention this. You know, everybody that is not on the Bass Blaster needs to make sure they're getting Jay Kumar's Bass Blaster. You can sign up by sending an email to 
Bass Blaster at BassGold.com. Jay is going to get you signed up on this. But if you were already getting this email on the uh, newsletter distribution list, you would know that there is a new Tennessee pending, I should say, Tennessee record crappie caught. Five point four. What? Ounces. <laughs> Five pounds, four ounces. This thing is gigantic. It is it's absurdly huge. The pond was named James Ferguson, but this gentleman out of Tennessee caught this thing. I mean, Jay calls it a puddle melon. But uh, a huge freaking fish. Pending crappie world record. Cool deal. But, you know, that's the kind of great information you're going to get from Bass Blaster. So make sure you remember. Again, you can sign up for that by sending Jay Kumar an email, BassBlaster at BassGold.com. You're going to get all kinds of great bass fishing news. But, hey, Aaron, we've got more bass fishing news coming up. We're going to slide into the second segment. But first, before we do, we've got a great tackle tip brought to us by our folks at ProtectTheHarvest.com. This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with Pete Pons. Hey guys, it's Pete Pons. You know, one of the things that I like to do when I'm throwing a bandit crankbait or other crankbaits is change the line size. Or if I want my bait to run a little bit shallower, but not necessarily three or four feet shallower, then I'll change the line to, you know, a higher ratio. Most of the time when I'm throwing a crankbait, I like to throw the fluorocarbon line. I use a vicious 14 pound and I'll go all the way down to vicious 10 pound in fluorocarbon. Now, when I'm throwing a lure like a topwater crankbait, like a bandit foot loose pops into mine because it only runs inches deep i'll use a monofilament line and i'll use 17 to 20 pound test you know some of the times the line size makes all the difference in the world if you're getting bit or not getting bit but when i'm throwing the foot loose the heavy line is a key because i always throw it around a lot of cover a lot of structure it's on the surface so basically the fish don't see it anyway mostly it's a reaction strike so again when I'm throwing a deep diving crankbait or a deep bird diving crankbait, I'll use the vicious fluorocarbon, 14 to say 10, and even sometimes 8. When I'm using a surface lure, then I'll use the vicious monofilament in a heavier line. This is Pete Ponds. I hope that helps you. Great tip, Pete. Thanks. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Well, 
Kurt, I kind of monopolized the uh, fishing conversation there in the opening segment, but I want to make sure that we cover, I believe the last episode we talked, you, we were both practicing kind of for our events. You were practicing actually for Kentucky Lake and kind of threw out there that, hey, I'm going to be staying in Barkley. Curious to kind of follow up. Did that hold true or what happened for you? So it didn't. <laughs> You know, the crazy thing about the TVA, and when I say TVA, I'm talking about the Tennessee, you know, Valley Authority, which there's a chain of lakes, lots of the famous lakes, you know, bass fishing lakes. The chain basically runs from starts, you know, Norris and Douglas. And I mean, I'm a geographic water wizard, so I'll just tell you how it rolls. It goes from there into uh, Loudon Teleco, where the uh, 2019 Bassmaster Classic is going to be held. Then it runs south uh, in Tennessee into Watts Bar, then from Watts Bar to Chickamauga, Chickamauga to Nickajack, Nickajack into Gunnersville, Gunnersville into Wheeler, Wheeler into Wilson, Wilson into Pickwick, Pickwick into Kentucky Lake, and Kentucky Lake eventually rolls into the Ohio River. That's impressive. Thank you very much. Adjacent to Kentucky Lake is Barkley, which is on the Cumberland River, which uh, the Cumberland comes through many lakes as well, through Tennessee and travels more directly from actually Kentucky into Tennessee, kind of east to west, and, and also runs into, obviously, the uh, Ohio River there through the dam at Barkley. But uh, those lakes include, should we go down the list? No, we don't have enough time. Essentially, you know, these TVA reservoirs are very interesting reservoirs because they're really river run reservoirs, especially the last five or six in the chain, you know, starting with Chickamauga and then running all the way down through, you know, into Kentucky Lake. And these fish move off the bank fairly quickly. Now, sure, there were some fish caught on the bank, but when I launched my boat, amazingly, you know, in my research, I had seen water temps were kind of mid-60s two weeks prior or so before the FLW Tour event got there. As soon as I got there, water temps were in the mid-70s. I mean, it had risen very quickly. We had air temperature in the 90s, so I decided to try a little bit shallow, but really went and stayed offshore in Kentucky Lake. I thought that's where I needed to be and found a few fish, but it was difficult. You know, that whole whole chain is dealing with something that everyone should be aware of, and that's Asian carp. Asian carp is an invasive species, very prevalent on the Ohio River. You've seen the videos on YouTube where these carp are jumping out of the water and people shooting them down with bow and arrows and stuff like that. Well, they are funneling up the um, Tennessee River, and that includes funneling into Kentucky Lake, which of course means they're in Cumberland River, which is Lake Barkley, and they're funneling up that way as well, but they're into Lake Pickwick. They're up in to um, Wilson and Wheeler, and, and, and they're moving up the chain. Before long, they'll be up the Chickamauga and, and Nickajack and the whole nine yards. But this fish is kind of changing some of the environment, obviously, with locating fish offshore. And it's making it more difficult to identify the bass. Anyway, long story short is I had a great first day. I had uh, almost 16 pounds of fish sitting in 22nd place. And this is a little bit of what the average angler doesn't see of what goes on throughout a week of fishing, the ups and downs, the emotional struggles, but I'm in 22nd after day one. I've pumped, bopped all the way up into FLW Cup qualification standing, sitting around 40th place, and I'm super stoked. And day two, I went out there and 
bombed. Uh, caught one fish for 211. It just didn't work out for me that week, and I didn't adjust well. Didn't adjust well to uh, fish movements and kind of moving around the area that I chose to concentrate on enough to catch fish to stay alive, quite frankly. But Kentucky Lake is still a great event. Jason Lambert, a ledge fishing guru, uh, along with Randy Haynes, dominate the event. Lambert ends up winning the crown with 101 plus pounds, crushing the field by about 30 pounds. So there's lots of big fish to be caught out there at Kentucky Lake. But um, we had an interesting scenario where two anglers, uh, Lambert and Haynes, started on the same spot on day three. Uh, Toss up who claims who should have been there, who shouldn't have been there. I'm not going to get into that part of the conversation. But one thing I do want to kind of get into is Randy Haynes didn't like it and uh, he left the tournament. Leading the event after wow. two days and left the tournament. Kind of a crazy situation, but uh, you can look all that stuff up on social media and get lots of opinions. Um, we're not going to really express them here at Bass Edge Radio. The interesting thing, you said you didn't adjust, but you know, had you stayed in shallow, that first day would have never happened. You know, because you threw That's out right. that you were going to stay out of Barkley. So you did the right thing there. But at the end of the day, we are dealing with conditions that, uh, you know, like you said, now, was there another adjustment required perhaps? So sure. any, anyway, great way to get there. Fish the current conditions like you hear all of the pro anglers on here talk about, including yourself, uh, you of going out there. And, you know, another event that's, and I know we're running short on time, but another event that took place in addition to the Kentucky Lake event, my Stockton event, was the Toyota Texas Bass Fest. That's right. And, and that's where we were mentioning a little bit before the break and, and talking about in the in the first segment there was the difference maker, those big fish. You know, there was a, lots of fish caught at Lake Travis. The bass population there is tremendous and uh, getting that kicker bite was the key. And uh, honestly, lucky for us, we've got the guy on the line that got the most kicker bites for that tournament. we got the winner coming up right here on Bass Edge Radio. Stay tuned. This is FLW Tour Pro Chris Johnson. I'm BASS Elite Series Pro Matt Heron. This is Lucas Oil Pro Bill McDowell. This is Texas Roadhouse Pro John Hunter. This is FLW Tour Pro Todd Hollowell. Hang in there. More Bass Edge Radio is coming right up. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. This episode's featured angler has recently become a two-time tour winner. Lake Okeechobee with the FLW Tour and now Lake Travis with the BASS Elite Series. We're excited to have with us Bass Elite Angler Drew Benton. Great to have you on the show, Drew. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. You know, I just I still haven't really sunk in. You know, I'm so pumped to get this next win under my belt and um, I'm excited to see what the future holds. Well, it's exciting, Drew, to hear kind of you talk about get the next win because most people are still trying for their first win. So a huge congrats on that win there at Lake Travis in Texas, a lake in which I'm very fond of, spent a lot of time on, and plus it kind of reminds me of a lake that I lived on, uh, Table Rock, for several years. But how does it feel? I know you said it hasn't really sunk in, but how does it feel after winning on your first season with the FLW Tour in 
2013, and now five years later, you get win number two, this one with the BASS Elite Series. Well, honestly, the first one, I really didn't understand what goes in to a tournament win at this level. I didn't take it for granted, don't get me wrong, but I didn't have the struggle that I had in between there and here. And that struggle is what makes this win so important to me and so valuable. This sport is a grind. You know, you see on TV, you see us catching the fish, hooping and hollering and winning and everything. You see all the good, but you don't see when we're out there every day, daylight to dark, grinding, not getting but three bites a day, struggling, the doubt that comes in your head, you know, do I belong? Can I do this? Am I ever going to win again? You just don't see that. And it's so important to be able to keep that positive attitude and stay upbeat and just know your time's around the corner and keep chunking and keep your faith. And when that time does come and you've had all that struggle behind you, it just makes it so rewarding whenever you do have this opportunity and you can make it happen. And and, uh, especially against this group of guys that I have to fish against every day. I mean, they're here to take your lunch money, believe me. And uh, it's something that, you know, you'll cherish for the rest of your life. I might not ever win again, but the 108 guys that I fished against last week can win at every event we go to. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say that fortunate enough for me, I came out on top last week. Well, that's awesome, Drew. That's, that's a great description of, uh, you know, the struggle and fight that it takes to just be where you're at. Not necessarily achieve the win, but just be in the moment of, of a professional bass angler. And you're exactly right. I think the weekend angler, the, the people that really love the fish and, and do so most often that they can just, it's such a different process at the professional level. And I think you described that really well you know you had a really fun bite going it looked like there on travis you know i saw some of the takeaways and some of the cuts uh you know that bass provided on bass live and some of the videos can you break down a little bit how you attacked the fishery and what provided you the clues to key in on the top water bite that looked like really led to your victory yeah so when i first launched my boat in travis I noticed the water was low to mid-70s, and immediately I'm thinking shad spawn in the morning. So I ran to my first marina that I came to. I seen shad flickering and spawning. There was some fish schooling back behind the marina on shad, and I immediately knew that was going to be a deal. So I just started running marinas as fast as I could. I would run in there, uh, make a few casts, look around. If it wasn't happening, I was going to the next one. And I would bounce around in between marinas that were in creeks and pockets, main lake marinas. I wanted to kind of get a test of everything. And it seemed to me that the ones on the main lake or the ones that were just inside pockets closest to the main lake was really, really deep water under them, like anywhere from no less than 50 or 60 feet to 100 and something feet. Those were the best ones that still had shad spawning on them. I think it was because the water was warming so fast that those shad were wanting to stay out there to where they could get to that deep water quickly. So I started running marinas, and finally on day three, I had three marinas that had some really big fish in them. Pulled into one and had probably seven three-pound-plus bites. Pulled into another one late in the day. Uh, actually physically saw probably 20 pounds follow my bait out. Wow. And uh, by the time I got to the third one, the sun was up a little bit higher and the, the shad spawn was done. And 
I probably had 25 or 30 pounds follow a jerk bait out. That's a good way to locate fish. You can throw a jerk bait up in those docks and jerk it out real, real fast and real erratic. And you might not get a bite, but you'll at least get those fish that are living there and using it to show themselves. And that's you know what I did and I I ran those docks and uh, by that time I think Jordan Lee was coming in and I was like dude they're living on these marinas and um, I said I just had like 25 pounds all this thing out like you know I don't know if we can get on the bite or not and uh, you know we talked some strategy on what might can get on the bite because they're keyed in on those little bitty shads you know you can throw a little bitty swim bait and when they're keyed in on that stuff you have to throw something that they don't get a good look at and I experimented and experimented and I just felt like a top water most importantly one with a feather on the back was key and it allowed them to zero in on that feather and i was able to get them to bite when i worked that real fast but late in day three so that was kind of my attack i was going to fish marinas in the morning i had some fish out deep i'd caught a, a few quality fish on a magnum shaky head out deep and i was going to jerk marina docks and throw a spoon on marina docks later in the day when the sun got up that was going to be my game plan i was running that the last day of practice and then my roommate david mullins pulls up to me and you know we share notes out there on the water and he said hey man i've had a couple blow-ups on top water and the the sun was real high and i was like really that's okay well um i'm gonna run it for a little bit so we started running you know just skipping each other in pockets and you know points and and different things and we met again about an hour later and each of us had about 10 bites and I'm like, hey, there's probably something to this. So first day of the tournament, I ran to my first marina, and the shad spawn was not going on at all. I couldn't figure out what was going on, but I said, there's got to be some fish still here. So I started throwing my top water in the slips and around the corners and stuff. And I caught like a 510 that was still there, you know, thinking the shad were probably going to spawn too. And, you know, he was disappointed. <laughs> but he was glad to see that top water come by and caught him, um, <laughs> fished around the deep stuff. And I caught one little bitty keeper, had a backup plan to run way up the river and flip bushes just to catch keepers. Ran all the way up there, and I was fishing behind several guys in the area that I found, and it just wasn't working out. I caught, like, two little keepers, and at 1.30, I had four. And I'm like, well, you know, what am I going to do? I said, well, I can, on the way back to the takeoff, I can just jerk docks and you know, kind of junk fish, and I'll catch another keeper. I knew with the big one that I had, all I needed was another keeper to, you know, keep me in the game. But when I'm running back, I'm running through the area that I got those topwater bites in. I said, you know what, I'm going to give it 30 minutes. I'm going to give this top water deal 30 minutes, and I'll still have a good hour to jerk dots. That'll be plenty of time. Pulled in the first place, caught a three, caught a two, caught another two, called, I think, three or four of the fish out that I had in about 45 minutes on top. And that's when it started really coming together, and I started figuring out what they were setting up on. They were setting up on, like, 45-degree banks or flat banks with the bigger rock on them that will put off shade and those wolf packs will get up in that shade and wait for shad or brim some brim were actually spawning and they would sit in that shade and that sun is what really positions them you didn't want to be on too steep of a bluff bank um i think they got too deep but that good 45 degree bank or flat bank with that big chunk rock was the key you know i just kind of rolled with it into day two um same deal starting the marina that wasn't happening caught all my weight on top the way I did that afternoon on day one. Day three, I started in a different marina, and it was happening. I was able to catch 17 or 18 pounds to start the day on day three. Lucky enough for me to do that because boat traffic was horrendous. 
couldn't get anything going on top because there was muddy banks everywhere I went, big waves, people cruising down the bank, and it just wasn't working out. I only caught like one fish or two fish that I weighed in on top throughout the day on day three. And then day four, we had the nasty weather move in, kept the boats off the water, and I was able to run that pattern the rest of the day and, and catch them. So. Wow. Well, I almost feel like in the first 11 minutes, we can just shut the show down, Drew, because right there, you just brought the goods and a wealth of information. <laughs> but uh, hey, before we had to break, I do want to make sure we spend time diving off into marina fishing because, you know, my part of the country, um, the core is actually ruled to where on some of the lakes, you cannot go into marinas and fish. So I always, Mm -hmm. I miss that aspect because it used to not be like that. But I know obviously from your description, it was a huge player for you at Lake Travis as it is on many lakes throughout the country. And it's not often talked about, but we have seen it be successful in several national events this year. And what's your opinion on why marinas are really just bass magnets? Honestly, marinas aren't my deal. I'm still kind of learning myself, but from what I've learned this week, a lake, especially a really clear lake, they love that cover over their head, whether it's shade, you know, just cover, a good ambush point to feed. I think they really use it in the mornings to feed and throughout the day. And I think that they suspend way down during the day and spend their time there. It's just a home for them. It's something where they feel comfortable. They feel like they're hidden and they can get prey really easy, especially on a place like Lake Travis. It's super clear. It does actually have a lot of timber growing out there from whenever it was really low. But I did not do very good in the clear part of the lake where the timber was. It just didn't seem like the fish wanted to be in that timber. They wanted to be under those docks. And I think it was mostly because of the shade. Talking about several of those aspects, you know, why you think the bass are keen on marinas. Obviously, there's lots of bait there. You talked about the shad spawn, talked about some bluegill and stuff that you were seeing around and and some bigger fish that were kind of waiting to prey on that. And some days it seemed like some marinas were on and maybe some marinas were off and, and it would kind of adjust based on maybe some bait fish activity when you approach a marina like say you did you know like you discussed in practice techniques that help you kind of get a grip on is there some bass holding on a marina what do you like to rely on what's drew benton's strong point when he approaches a marina what's he looking for and what kind of techniques are you using just to kind of scope it out well like first thing in the morning obviously if i saw shad spawning or service activities fish school and you know i'm gonna start some sort of top order, swim jig, something up close to the surface. And what's good about that is those fish are under the floats of that marina. And if you can get your bait really close to those floats, they don't necessarily get a good look at it. They feel it, they hear it, and they see a little bit of it. But the closest you can get it to that marina a lot of times, the easier it is to fool those fish in that clear water. And, you know, I had a few different baits that I was using. I was skipping a white horny toad up in places that you couldn't get a bait, you know, a slip where there might be a boat sitting. I might skip all the way in the back and buzz it out real fast down the float. I might throw that walking bait in the open slips or on the corners, the edges. I might throw a jerk bait real fast right up underneath the corners and in the shadows. I've even skipped a swim bait around in them, like on three eight ounce head, just a little two eight swim bait and burn it out real fast so they didn't, you know, get a good look at it. Um, a lot of different techniques you can use whenever they're up on top and feeding but whenever they get suspended down there 10 15 you know 20 feet under those things best thing you can throw on is a spoon and uh, that's kind of what i did when i got there on day four and they weren't right on top i just pulled out that 
afternoon, and it was really kind of unfortunate. I found a good little school in this one slip called a 410, and there was about, I don't know, five or half a dozen fish bigger than him that followed that fish out. And they never got back set up in the same area. I never relocated them, never got any of them fired. But that spoon is a fish catching machine especially if there is a group of fish down there and you jerk that thing up through them they're going to get competitive and you're going to get them to fire on soon that's great stuff one other quick question is how about cables you know you a lot of us dealing with cables aaron you deal with them a lot up there around your neck of the woods i've seen actually drew some video footage of you over on smith lake you know fishing docks and stuff like that having to deal with these cables and different kinds of things like that it seems to scare a lot of anglers off kind of keeps them away (laughs) it's you too. So how do you deal with that? Just tell me your approach to it and what are you trying to do when you get around that stuff but still make, you know, some good presentations? Nine times out of ten, of course, on top water, I'm throwing 65-pound smackdown cigar braid. And I'm not giving them an opportunity to get in any kind of cables. And if they do buy it, I'm just going to pull them over the cables. But like when I'm throwing a jerk bait or a swim bait or whatever, I'm throwing that in a place where when they come and bite it, they're going to be on top of that stuff. So as long as I don't let them swim back down in it, you know, you're good. Now on that spoon, I'm throwing it on heavy line, 20 or 25 pound cigar and bizet. The only way you're going to get hung up is if that fish wraps or, you know, gets down there and gets a hook in it somehow. And unfortunately, on day four, I had a really good one on. I don't know how big it was. Flipped up there. It was pouring rain. Popped it up one time. Line went slack. I set the hook, and it run right to the right, and it just kind of hung up. And I felt it sawing back and forth and um, looked down there, and it was actually wrapped around the cable. When they wrap, you can't do anything about it, and that's just part of the game. But yeah, it's very important to whenever you're fishing down in that stuff to make sure you're using heavy enough line to be able to, to get them out of that stuff. And then whenever you're fishing on top of it, you know your mindset is don't give them too much. You know if you if you want to play them with the big fish, troll them motor them out into the middle of that marina and get them away from all that stuff, and then let them play out. And speaking quickly on that, my experience on flipping docks with a spoon and that, you know, because a lot of times those bigger docks, right, they have those cables that come out in the middle of them, and then you have an X that's right in the middle of, let's say, a 40-slip mm-hmm. dock or something like that, or you have the chains. We have a lot of chains that actually connect the boat lifts to keep them to only let them go down so long. And well, When you're pitching up in there behind a boat lift that has a boat on it, you've got the hose that's running to pump the air into the, the actual float system. Fortunately, what I've found is if you can get them, like you said, to come straight up, then you can, even if you have to pin them, let's say, against the chain, I can't tell you how many times I've actually slipped a net under them, let slack mm-hmm. out on my reel and cut my line and let the fish fall into the net. So like you said, it's, it's just when the fish are on there, you got to get to them first. You got to get the bite and then kind of deal with it, you know, call an audible as you go. Well, hey, guys, this is great information. We need to pay some bills real quick. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more tips and techniques from Drew Benton right after these messages. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio, presented by PowerPole Shallow Water Anchors, returns with Toyota Texas Bass Fest champion Drew Benton in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. 
That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. For the entire lineup of Lucas Oil products, be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store. It works. Drew, let's focus a little bit on behavioral patterns that can affect bass hanging around marinas. So for Bass Edge Nation, we can kind of take this through kind of all cycles of the year. Obviously, you talked about, you know, some of the post-spawn techniques. We'll revisit this through this, but let's start with uh, pre-spawn. You know, how is a fish going to want to relate to marinas? And and maybe we'll throw in docks in this a little bit, but really kind of focusing on marinas. How are they going to relate to marinas in pre-spawn? You know, I think that they, they'll pull up and they'll be in groups you know staging to go to the banks and spawn and it'll be one of those deals where you might fish 100 slips or 200 slips or whatever and there might be one cable or one cross member down there and there'll be a big group of fish on them and um, it's not like you're fishing the whole marine and you're getting a bite here and a bite there and a bite i think they're they're more stacked and they're tighter together whenever they're in pre-spawn myself this week it was the opposite. You were fishing a bunch of different slips, a, a lot of a marina, and you, you didn't know necessarily when you were going to get your bike, but they were kind of scattered out throughout. I think it's more um, hunting that school in a marina during the pre-spawn. Well, and then let's move on into spawn and post-spawn. Are they just moving to the shallower side of the, of the dock or shallower end, I should say, of the dock and then reversing? Yeah, yeah, or I how think, does that work? Yeah, I think it's more walkways and the backside of docks when it gets into the spawn and then first initial post spawn they're garden fry and that's going to be on the back sides under those walkways you know closest to where they actually you know had their beds and then you just kind of follow them out the shad come in and spawn you know and they'll move out and get set up and feed on those and kind of live on the dock and then i think in the summertime they just stay deeper and they stay under there and wait for those schools to shed to swim by. It seems like in that spawn and post-spawn time frame that that's when it kind of takes a little bit more patience. You've got to be able to, you know, one, look behind the marinas, look behind the docks, you know, make more intricate casts, kind of take your time because it seems maybe the angler that can strategically fish a dock rather than just swing by it real quickly and make a couple half-hearted casts, hoping ones that comes out and grabs it, that's the behavioral pattern where you really have to kind of again, you might say. In the summertime, you just talked about, you know, fish kind of continuing to relate to docks and, and marinas. How about the bait fish activity through that cycle? They're not as bait oriented in the spawn, obviously. They're more thinking about reproduction. Obviously, post-spawn, you already talked about shad spawning. How about the summertime, like throughout where we're about to approach? You know, here we are June 1. We're about to get into late June, July, when the spawn is totally done pretty much all over the country and we're kind of getting into that strong summer cycle where for a couple months we're going to have high water temps what are you looking for on marinas and docks during that time frame you know honestly i think on a lake um like lake Travis that has so much bait in it i think a lot of those fish get out there in that deep water and follow the bait and really don't relate to marinas as much okay. um, i think that there'll still be some fish on those marinas and they might be really big ones to be honest with you they might be big loner large mouth but i think majority of your fish are going to be following that bait fish around suspended out deep over 100 foot of water because i've seen that start to develop in our tournament you know during practice in the first couple of days they were schooling in and behind those marinas and it was all close you know oriented to the marinas by the end of the tournament they were schooling out in the middle of the river 
those fish have started to migrate and follow those shad out, and they're going to stay on them. You know, those shad are going to move deep when that water temperature gets up, and they're going to suspend over that, and those, those bass are going to follow them. So you're still going to have some of those really big ones. They're going to stay in those marinas, and I think that's a great way to target a really big bite because, you know, you're going to have big bluegill that's going to live around those marinas all year. But the majority of your bass, I think, actually move out of those marinas in the summertime. Gotcha. How about that fall transition? You know, you get some of those shad, like you mentioned, that were moving out toward the main lake, kind of getting in the channel and kind of, you know, seeking that cooler overall water temperature with good oxygen levels. In the fall, you get that transition. I think in the fall, what you'll run into is, you know, the shad will start to move back in the creeks and, and things like that. And then those marinas that are at the mouth of those places, that'll be where they'll show up first, and that'll be a good fall pattern. I think James Watson won a, a big tournament on, uh, was it Table Rock or one of the Ozark Lakes? Um, I think so, yeah. On a spoon in, in marinas of, around that time of year. So that's definitely going to be coming back to you in the fall. Yeah, well, it sounds to me like you hit the nail on the head where the bait are that time of year, the bass will be. And if it happens to be that the bait can be locating under one of those big Bigger, longer docks perhaps in deeper water you can find the mother load in a hurry because just like you said drew those wolf packs uh, a lot of times those bigger fish all hang out together just like the smaller fish do so that's a fun experience when you can find it and lastly kind of covering this pattern of marinas that we're talking about any final thoughts of maybe you know tricks unconventional that aren't necessarily in the spotlight when it comes to working over a marina that you know is productive where the bass maybe become weary from the pressure yeah it seemed to me these fish really got conditioned so later in the week we got you got a lot of followers and a lot of fish that just would commit to your bait and to me it was important to get your bait back there where you thought that nobody had casted yet and to do that i tried to skip stuff way back in there i don't know if you saw the footage where i fell in but that fish was back there behind where a boat was and I threw over a walkway and got the fish to bite and I think that's really important especially on a place that's high pressure is everybody is casting to the corners and the slips that are easy to cast to but you got to kind of think outside the box and try to push your baits where you envision that no one else is thrown. Kind of like um, a good major league pitcher you got to try and put the ball where nobody else can put it. Yep exactly right. Well actually you know Drew used to be a catcher I don't know if you know that but he played Played college baseball down there in Florida. So uh, he knows all about shaking things up and putting things in places that make it strategically better for him to catch more fish. So so uh, that's pretty cool. Drew, I did see where you fell over there. If folks haven't seen that, you can go to Bassmaster.com, kind of check Drew out going for a swim. Uh, he pumped the dock and just kind of got a little off balance. But it was an interesting deal. You got penalized the next day for 15 minutes because when you went to go retrieve your lure that still had the fish on it that you were talking about, the rule states you have to have more centrifugal weight on the boat at all times than you do on, you know, an object that you're leaning to either retrieve a fish or retrieve your lure and things like that. So you had a 15 minute delay on day four. Did that affect you? Did it give you more pressure? Did you not really care? Did you worry about it? How, how was your uh, mental response to having that delay on day four? Uh, initially, I was pretty aggravated about it. And I was, <laughs> you know, I was thinking this is killing me because on day three I caught most of my weight in that like, first 30 minutes and gotcha. I specifically remember how it happened I pulled up they were doing it good I fished one pass down like maybe six or seven slips and 
caught three or four, and it was done by like seven o'clock. Because that was the and, day you had good weight real early, right? You had like 17, yeah. 18 pounds in your first stop. Right. So I was kind of aggravated about it and you know, didn't know what to expect. But in the reality, when I got there, it was raining. And I think that the rain kind of put a damper on the, the shad activity in that marina that morning. Um, so it probably didn't affect it overall that much. How can they measure centrifugal force if it, <laughs> of where it's 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 applied more at? Just well, well we, to be honest with you, I went around and around um, with them. And my argument was that the fish was not even a factor. And that it didn't give me any kind of time advantage, any kind of advantage whatsoever. I didn't even realize there was a fish on. I actually thought I had a bigger fish on. Bait, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought my bait was hung in a rope. And I even told, like, when I hopped in the boat, I was like, the fish came off and the bait's just hung. So I'm going up there to get the bait, and I feel weight on it, but I'm I'm still thinking it's hung. And I step on the dock, and all this happened so fast, and I feel it moving, and it's just a like a one eight or a one five or something like that. And I flipped it in the boat. I don't even I didn't even realize I even stepped on a dock. That was going through my mind going up to it when I fell in, but when that happens it just totally scrambles your mind and Sure. So I talked to the tournament officials, you know, extensively on it and I'm like, So what do you do when you're hung up in a dock? And, and you got a fish on because it says in the rules that we're allowed to go retrieve a bait, leave our boat. And what they explained to me was you can go get that fish and go get him off. You can leave your boat and do it, but you have to call it an illegal fish and just return it back to the water and let tournament officials know. And had I known that I had done something illegal, I could have called trip, said, hey, I got my bait hung up, thought it didn't have a fish on it. I stepped on a dock, landed this fish, I'm throwing it back as an illegal fish, just giving you guys a heads up. I would have not a third penalty but it's just one of those deals i think jacob wheeler um incurred the same penalty at grand he was uh sight fishing didn't even catch the fish had one foot on the dock one foot in his boat and they said that his boat rose up because he shifted his weight to the dock and they gave him a 15 minute penalty how you can judge that beyond me but you know they have a tough job doing what they do so uh, i'd hate to be in their shoes so hats off to them but i wasn't happy about it initially but you know it's one of those things you just got to get over and uh don't let it ruin your day and you know try to stay positive and that's what we did well the great thing about that is that it doesn't affect you know your whole tournament day you know it's a decision that's made that hey you got this 15 minutes that you got to be in the penalty box or, or whatever it might be called and then kind of your day goes on whereas years ago it might have been hey you broke a rule your day's dq'd and then you got real issues right so right so yeah, we um, talked about it you know more and had that fish had counted and kept they would have allowed me to figure out which one it was of course right. we had video footage and we waited and everything and sure. i could have just eliminated that fish and it would have been gone if it had been a traditional event though you would have called another fish let's say that was your smallest or second smallest or whatever and then you would have gone through weighed in for the day then they have this issue and then it's like uh-oh how do we decide yeah. how much that fish weighed so the 15 minute penalty is kind of a blessing in disguise i think in some it respects but it was <laughs> That's uh, pretty interesting stuff. Thanks for explaining that to us and uh, bringing that to all, everybody's attention because, you know, obviously in national tournaments, the rules are pretty explicit, but still don't carry the literature for all aspects of things that can happen out there on the water. Mm. So um, it always makes it pretty interesting. But Drew, every episode, let's move along. We got a quick question that was submitted by a listener on our social media. 
or sometimes they submit them via our website, BassEdge.com. But this question is presented to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. It comes from our Facebook page submitted by Jorge Sanchez. Jorge asks, how do you target bigger fish? What's the fine line or skill you must develop to be able to catch the bigger fish? My question comes from personal experience as I fish local tournaments in my bass club from work as a co-angler. And I do catch a lot of fish, but not solid fish. Lots of 14 to 17 inch bass having difficulty breaking that pattern. What am I missing? I think it's because you're stuck in your same habits and every lake's different. There's no right answer for this question because let's face it i mean every lake is unique but for me for instance lake travis yes you go out there and you catch a ton of fish a ton of different ways and i found out you know i just rotated through a lot of baits a lot of different deals and it felt like to me that whenever i was throwing that top water 50 percent of the time when i got a bite it was going to be a two and a half or bigger whenever i fished swim baits jerk baits Anything else that felt like it was just a random chance at catching a quality fish. So you have to just kind of bounce back and forth between a bunch of different techniques and just figure out what puts the odds in your favor. A lot of us get stuck in our same habit fishing, you know, especially a home lake. Um, they're the worst. You catch fish a certain way and you're comfortable fishing that way and you just continue to do it and you wonder why you're not getting the bigger quality bite. And it's because, you know, you might not be doing the right thing to target those quality fish. So you just got to experiment, bounce back and forth between a bunch of different stuff and figure out what puts the odds in your favor to catch those big fish. That's a great answer, Drew, because, you, you know, I firmly believe whether it's in life, business or fishing, the same level of thinking and doing that has gotten you to where you're at at the present moment is not necessarily the same thinking that you need to get you to where you want to go. So thank you for answering that, Drew. And Jorge, we appreciate you sending that question into Bass Edge. I'm going to make this easy. We need one more thing from you. Give you three different ways to do that. You can go to BassEdge.com, click on the Claim Your Prize segment. You can send us an email at support at Bass Edge or simply log on to any of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, letting us know that you heard your question answered by Drew on the show to receive your Bass Edge gift. Aaron, you covered that pretty solid. I think we're all wrapped up with the interview. And Drew, thanks a bunch for being on the show. I always want to remind all of our listeners to um, leave any of those questions that you want submitted on the show through our social media platform, or you can log on to BassEdge.com and hit the Ask the Pros section to submit those questions. Well, Drew, great luck. Wish you the best of luck on the Sabine. We hope to see you keep climbing up those Angler of the Year standings. But uh, before we shut this thing down, give us a, a final word or two that you would like to send out to Bass Edge Nation. I got to thank all my sponsors. I can't thank them enough for betting on me when nobody else would. And to be able to put them on the biggest stage in fishing and win, it's huge to me. Bagley Bait, Phoenix Boat, Doomsday, Soft Plastic, Millennium Marine, Seaguar, Owner Hooks, Rant, Coast of Sunglasses, Phoenix Rods, Blues Reels. All of those guys have really backed me, and I can't thank them enough. And I also owe a big thanks and shout-out to uh, Marty Robinson. We were sharing the same arena on uh, day three and uh, we had a conversation on day four even though he knew that I had the penalty he allowed me to go in there and fish by myself he's like man you got a chance to win this thing I'm way down have at it Marty I appreciate it and thanks for having me guys I enjoyed it and you know this will never get old 
can't wait to get to the next one. You bet, man. Well, that's a great class act by Marty Robinson there as well. Drew, we're going to send you off with our final segment, which is four last questions for you. What's for breakfast on tourney morning? Man, I don't eat breakfast on tournament morning. I like to fish like I'm hungry. So, <laughs> oh, it, uh, I like that. <laughs> Good deal. Okay, what's your favorite type of lake to fish? You've been successful all over the country. You seem to be a shallow water guy, though. But where, yeah, what's favorite type of lake to fish? I like lakes with big, giant fish in them. I don't like to, to fish these places that you're culling through a bunch of 12 and 13 inches. I like your Sam Rayburns, your Toledo Bends, your lakes that's really got those giant bass in them. What is the last picture you took with your cell phone? Uh, we had dinner on Lake Travis. The night after I won, I took a picture of the lake in the sunset. Awesome. All right. And you're a Florida boy. Seminoles or Gators? Go Gators. <laughs> there you go. All right, Drew. Well, thanks again so much for being with us here at Bass Edge Radio. Bass Edge Radio will return right after these messages. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat guaranteed for life so give your boat the performance edge put on the protection the pros pick keel guard keel protectors patented in 2000 perfected over years of testing and real world punishment the power pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool swift power pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat virtually silent power pole won't spook wary fish secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike power pole swift silent secure visit powerpole.com to find a dealer near you yet another bass edge rookie Drew Benton, and uh, Drew did a great job, Kurt. Good catch, pardon the pun, by finding him to be on the show this week. You bet. It was great to have Drew be able to come join us here with Bass Edge Radio and kind of spread his knowledge and really introduce him to Bass Edge Nation. So uh, Drew had a great event. One thing I thought that was really interesting from his interview was talking about those marinas, how it's not his strongest point. He admitted that right out of the gate, but he was able to utilize conditions that he saw, conditions that he was familiar with through his other fishing experiences, whether it was the shad spawn and the topwater bite, you know, working around those marinas. I know that he's had success through lots of other dock tournaments and things like that. And um, so it was great to see kind of his perspective. You could almost hear in his voice as he was figuring out as the time went on. And still, I don't think that Drew would consider himself an expert at marina fishing. But what Drew's an expert at is bass fishing. And that's the key to take your experiences that you have in this game and then apply it to different places that you travel to or different conditions that you see maybe on your home lake to be successful. And that was what Drew was able to do to take the championship there at the Toyota Texas Bass Fest. No doubt. Sounds just exactly like a chapter out of Dr. J. McNamara's book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. You know, certainly not one of his strengths. He might reconsider that now that he added a uh, huge deposit to his, his bank account. So, hey, it is time to shut this thing down. I know we kept you a little long today, but uh, we felt that the information was well deserving of the time invested. Hopefully you can take that, put more fish in the boat next time you are on the water. Be sure, stay abreast with us on all of the Bass Edge social media for great 
great tips. Send in those questions. Get the free stuff, your chance, opportunity. We appreciate you spending the time with us. For additional knowledge, be sure to visit BassEdge.com, articles, videos, all kinds of goodies to purchase online. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. Looking forward to episode number 282, June 15th. So long, everybody. Edge is presented by MegaWare Keelguard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. 